0: Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 614 for November 6 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, I am thrilled to welcome for the first time to the show, the CEO of Omni Group, Ken Case. How are you doing today, Ken?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me to the show, Allison.
0: Well, some people would invite somebody on who represented a company to talk about the company, but that's not in the you know in the tech products and stuff. But I don't normally do what people would expect. <laughs> so I'm going to go down a completely different path. But before we dig in, I want to give people just a smidge of background on you and what I know about you so far so people understand why I asked you onto the show if that's okay. All right. All right. Well, I, I told a little bit of this story a while back when Steve and I went to the Altconf. Conf. Gene McDonald, who knows everybody, and I don't mean most of everybody, I mean absolutely everybody, <laughs> she introduced us to Ken, and we ended up standing in the hallway outside of a martini bar, where we had actually had martinis, and uh, Ken shared a little bit of his background with us, and I was fascinated by his story, and I asked him if he would come on the show to share his story of how he got to where he is, because it's, uh, it's uh, a really fun story um, I do want you to know a little bit about what kind of person Ken is. His bio says that he used Emacs and VI daily since the 1980s while avoiding flame wars with either camp.
1: <laughs> Still true. <laughs>
0: that, that's, a, that's a sign of your character, I really think, right? <laughs> but so the part that fascinated me to start with, and now I've learned more and more about you since getting to know, know you more, is how you ended up in college. So let's see, how far back in, in your age do we need to go to start this story?
1: Oh, it depends on how long a story you want. But, uh, <laughs> oh, 45 simple...
0: minutes, an hour or something like that.
1: <laughs> the simple story is that when I was in eighth grade, I was invited to participate in Johns Hopkins' uh, search for, uh, what was it, the study, academic precocity or something along those lines. Uh, oh. The name of the study that they were doing. Precocity, and so they,
0: as in precociousness? Yes, oh okay,
1: and so they were looking for people to take the s a t uh in uh, in the eighth grade and so
0: you're like thirteen fourteen years old, maybe
1: yeah, I think I was uh, twelve or thirteen at okay. the time and and so I did take that, and then afterward, the University of Washington had a little uh award ceremony where they invited everybody who uh who invite, who was involved in that project uh, and scored better on that test than the average college bound senior to go ahead and come to the university of Washington <laughs> and, uh, and they had a little award ceremony. and So,
0: <laughs> Wait, so, so you're higher than the average, uh, college bound senior grad and you're in
1: eighth grade. Right. Right. That was, <laughs> that was sort of how I got involved in that project. So then over the summer, uh, you know after that, that was around the end of the school year, I think, and they invited us then to come to a fast math program over the summer if we were interested and of course I was i was, you know would love to uh learn this stuff more quickly, and yeah, then at the end of the summer, uh wasn't sure what um what I wanted to do next. I went back to high school for uh for a couple months and then decided pretty quickly they I, I guess they must have made the offer um talking with my parents or something, Uh, Oh, I decided I was pretty bored (laughs) with with what was going on in high school. And I would love to uh, start at the UW early. And they had a special program at the UW called the Early Entrance Program. Uh, Hal Robinson uh, set it up. And basically, at that time, there were two two universities uh, in the U.S. that were doing this program, Johns Hopkins, who had done the search in the first place, and uh, Hal Robinson's program at the University of Washington. And so they invited Invited me to come start early, and that's what I did. So,
0: how many how many kids actually were part of this program that that did better than the average college bound bound senior on the SATs?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, dozens or two or well, there were there were probably dozens that were involved in that particular. They, they invited to come to that ceremony. I remember we went to okay. Kane Hall. There was a big, uh, you know, one of the big lecture halls where they have. Uh, you know, uh, psych 101 classes and so on. At the, oh, okay.
0: That, uh, right, right.
1: Uh, and there were a lot of people there and it was, you know, possibly the biggest room I had been in in a school setting <laughs> at that age. And right, right. What's going on here? Um,
0: I mean, that's intimidating and, when you're 18 going right. away to college.
1: And in this, of course, I start hearing about um, two, they gave special awards to the two top scorers on that SAT test who were, okay. you know, my age. And, Uh, One of those uh, was Sammy Ho, and the other was Michael Liu. And they both um, scored almost perfectly on the map. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Wow. But then I learned that, uh, in fact, Sammy had already graduated from college. And Mike was, uh, he was, well, let's see, at that point, he was just about to graduate. uh, And... And getting masters I? at sixteen years old, and
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so you're like you're like the loser, bottom <laughs> end, of, bottom of the barrel kid in the class you here. You
1: really, really learn some perspective and, and humbleness <laughs> as you go into that kind of environment. Wow! Um, oh wow, that's crazy. So at the in terms of who they invited to come to the early entrance program, they were, um, I think they invited about fourteen of us to start the, or maybe twelve of us, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we lost a few people along the course of the year because it wasn't the right fit for everybody. And, right. um, and so, you know, maybe eight of us made it to the end of the year, but it was oh. nice to have a group that, they, you know, we were, um, <laughs> chance to see some people our age there on, on this very big campus at the University right. of Washington. I
0: mean, you're, you're, in, you're, you're in college and you like don't have acne yet. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's bananas. So I assume you weren't living in the dorms or anything. You were living at home?
1: Living at home. Yeah. I okay. took the bus in every day. Yeah.
0: Wow. And so you you got bored, you went back to high school and said, yeah, it it like you had been given that glimpse of the future of where you should be and could tell that it was no longer a fit to be in high
1: school. Well, I've or, always been okay. um I've always wanted to use my time well, let's put it that way. And so oh, interesting. I remember in uh, in earlier grades, you know, when I would study a subject that I had already learned earlier, like, well, why are we spending time on this now? I'd like to learn something new, all the way back to kindergarten. In fact, so that's why yeah. I started first grade a little bit early. Is I did a few weeks of kindergarten, told, came home and told my mom, well, here's all they said they expect us to learn through the year. You know, and, <laughs> um, I'm already reading, and she's like, all right, yeah, we can let, we can talk to a first grader. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. In in kindergarten, you're directing your future already. (laughs) Wow.
1: So maybe I'm impatient.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But but why not? Right? I mean, what's the downside to being impatient and insisting on learning as fast as you possibly can?
1: Well, I I just love learning, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My son was in a... Both my kids were in a thing called the Gifted and Talented Education in California, the GATE program. And it, it wasn't well executed, unfortunately. But I remember... They sent home this flyer that talked about one of the problems with really smart kids is that if, the, that if you don't challenge them, they're the ones that are going to end up in really big trouble because they get bored and then they do the wrong things. And so if you don't keep feeding that, it could, uh, you know, you could end up on the wrong side. You know, I don't know, like working on windows or something.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, I've seen uh Challenges on on both sides. If you don't meet students wherever they're at and give them a chance to be challenged at their level, uh, I think you really inhibit their growth and learning.
0: Okay. Okay. So it, did you start out like a regular curriculum right away?
1: No. The uh, So the way they... This is pretty early on in the early ancients program. It's actually still going at the UW today. I'm not oh. sure that it is at Johns Hopkins necessarily, but uh, but the UW still has the Robinson Center now, um, many, many years later. In fact, my daughter um, just went through it. But um, the, the way they uh, had decided to try handling things, instead of just dumping people straight into university classes at age 14, they would... Uh, start the first quarter where maybe you're doing one university class in whichever subject you're best at. So, you know, in my case, that would have been math. And then right. uh, then, in uh, they had some classes set up with your age mates, uh, your peer group, to go ahead and do the other classes. So you're doing English and history and French. Like, eh. And okay. so over the course of the year, then you are sort of graduating from one of those extra classes and, you know, taking more and more classes in the mainstream, uh, area of the college. So and they,
0: they slowly slip stream you in.
1: Exactly. And so then by the end of the year, you're done with the transition component is what they called it. Then, uh, they now call it the transition school. And, um, uh, they now they have gotten better at it because, again, this was uh, this was year two of the transition component. Year three, they it was when they renamed it to the transition school and made it more formal and uh, figured out what they were looking for a little bit better. Okay. So I think okay. they've had much better success rates in terms of who lasts throughout the year from the beginning to the end now as well because they've sort of figured out, all right, how do we predict who's going to succeed in this kind of an arrangement?
0: So what? how old were you when you graduated from uh, from college then?
1: Well, I never did graduate, so I'm one of the uh, the counterexamples oh, for the <laughs> oh, <laughs> people oh. they brought in and uh, didn't. Do it. No, I kept. Uh, I took a bunch of classes, um, and at age 15, uh, I started working for the computer center. And,
0: and this is where things go to the dark side. This horrible. Well,
1: <laughs> this is where they at <laughs> first didn't realize that I was 15 because they didn't have an employment permit to. Uh, to hire somebody oh. that young. So when it came time to actually pay me, they're like, wait, how, you're? How, we need to hold back your paycheck. When's your birthday? <laughs> so, so they're basically breaking child 16. This uh, is like child labor laws at this point. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not, uh,
0: oh, that's funny. Uh, so, so what were you doing in the computer taking center? classes?
1: Uh, I was helping other students with their programs. Uh, you know, so computer science students uh, would, you know, be coming into that lab um. Uh, where we had, you know, old Hazeltine terminals, H19 terminals, and uh, or uh, or Z19 because it was bought by Zenith around that time, I think. Uh, anyway, we they would be on these terminals using VAX computers, uh, oh, okay. helping them, uh, you know, write their programs and get them working. And I'd also be. Uh, Changing printer paper, keeping the printer printer in band okay. all that kind of stuff. So student uh, helper operator or something was the yeah uh, was the title of my job there. It was a student student position, right?
0: I wonder if in in my youth you would have been the kid in the back helping the teacher with the projector for the uh, you know, the, the the film reel going through or something like that.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I I loved doing that when um, yeah, when there were things like that going on in classes or uh, so, so where
0: did where did it I just go from
1: started there? Doing more and more, um, work for the computer center. I ended up getting uh, invited to the chemistry department, um, in the Center for Process Analytical Chemistry, which was kind of a uh, a co co-op, uh, cooperative uh, endeavor between the chemistry department at the UW and industries uh, that were. Uh, they were doing process analytical chemistry. They, invite, uh, they were looking for a system administrator to come in and help uh, get them on the internet, basically. Oh, uh, okay. So, set up um, some machines for them that could send email. And uh, I say internet. At that time, it was actually BitNet that we were getting connected to. And then BitNet. Um, I
0: haven't actually heard of BitNet.
1: It was uh, internet as well.
0: I, I'm sorry, I talked over you there, but uh, I, I don't think I've heard of BitNet
1: bitnet was uh, a a network of universities um it was based around the ibm mainframes uh rcf rscs protocol i believe is the, okay. uh, so it was uh, a relay and forwarding system so instead of packets um, okay so i'm sure you've, you've heard of usenet uh yes. yeah so this is a little bit more like usenet but a real-time usenet so usenet all of your stuff you would uh forward a, an entire file at a time it would get. To the next node in line and get forwarded from there along to the next news group or email address or whatever. And you'd, you'd have these email addresses that were, um, you know, one host name, bang, another host name, and bang, another host name, to sort of indicate the path you were going until you finally got oh, the wow. username at the end. Um, You're like typing in a trace route, basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, with, with Usenet, uh, your computers would call uh the connected computers like maybe every hour or every day or whatever and pick up the mail uh, or news postings or whatever and forward them along to the other sites that you know things that they might not have seen yet so you'd forward email in both directions and there were central hubs of course of this process so hubs at berkeley hubs uh, here at the university of washington and so on so so I also got them set up on Usenet, but we got them set up on BitNet, which was, a, I guess I was starting to say, a more real-time version of that network, where it was okay. still store and forward packets, but they would happen in these, on these always-on connections, uh, and they would move over there right away. So, um, so, of course, one of the first sort of things... Uh, Sorry, BitNet stood for Because It's Time Network. And the idea was to get all of these universities finally online and connected to each other and talking
0: <laughs> to each other. Because it's time? That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so, uh, of course, when students started getting access to a connection that let them talk to other university students, the first thing they did was set up chat programs. So there were um, centralized chats. Uh, but then we realized that, well, if you're forwarding all these packets over to some centralized node and it happens to be on the East Coast, that you're um, where these conversations then get forwarded back um, in the other direction, that that's maybe not the most efficient way to use that network. Uh, you, they, hmm. Depending on what host you were connecting to, you could end up with a really fun, uh, quick conversation, or you could end up with a lot of lag because everybody else that's at your university is sending redundant packets along the same lines. So... Um, hmm. So this is where I kind of uh, got in there and started getting involved. With st- uh, there was a program called Relay, which was a ver- version of this centralized chat network. But instead of being centralized, you now have these Relay nodes along the way. And uh, you would connect to your closest Relay node, and then it would forward uh, a packet uh, that, you know, sort of consolidated the traffic from everybody at your university all the way down the line to other Relay nodes. And this... Okay. Uh, ended up being the inspiration for later the internet relay chat irc oh oh wow okay bitnet relay was the first uh, of that kind and so i wrote oh, the that's... VMS version of that and uh helped out a little bit with the uh the version on the ibm as well which was written oh, in rex
0: wow. oh wow <laughs> um, that's cool
1: Yeah, it was a fun so, thing.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically up and create the beginnings of what we take for granted now
1: yeah uh, and uh, a little bit later than we did, actually start getting TCP connections as well, and could start doing things like Telnet, and of course the Internet Relay Chat. Woo hoo!
0: Yeah, <laughs> Telnet big time. So, uh, where did you go from there? What uh, did you did you start actual employment beyond the university at some point here?
1: Yeah. Around so while I was uh, you know working as a sysadmin there at the uh, at C back in the Center for Process and Chemical Chemistry, I uh, the person that had invited me to come work there, had meanwhile moved on to uh, Statistical Sciences Incorporated, which is a company here in Seattle uh, doing statistics <laughs> software,
0: based uh,
1: <laughs> okay. around the S uh, programming language, which, S. S, which uh, they were doing a bunch of extensions to S called S+, and that all ended up becoming the inspiration for the R statistics language that's in common use today. That's sort of the open source version of S. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when he was over there, he realized they, you know, needed some sysadmin work there as well. So he asked if I was interested in coming to work over there, and I said sure. So <laughs> that was a great yeah. place to go. Uh, you know, since it was a commercial uh, company that was built and developing for all these different Unix platforms, it was a chance to get to learn uh, Sun workstations, HP workstations, it, uh, Apollo. Um, there was even a, an old AUX Macintosh uh, sitting there.
0: Wow. Uh, Apollo, that was what was that? Was that Token Ring or something I remember with that?
1: I not the way we had it set up at Okay. We we had it set up on a normal LAN. Uh, I mean, okay. normal LANs back then were not like normal LANs now. Of course they weren't start topologies. They were um store tap in sort of ethernet um, okay. things, but um and of course, uh one of the most fun workstations at that time to play with was the silicon graphics iris uh with its oh. Easy hardware oh
0: it, just what the sgis when they came in were just that was magic
1: right <laughs> absolutely
0: so what were you what were you guys doing with those
1: so on all of those platforms we were bringing the statistics software and uh you know making it easier to do uh charts and graphs and analysis of things. And okay. I was not a statistician, so that was not my, okay. my area of expertise. I just helped them get things running on different types of computers. So I was helping port things from one Unix flavor to another Unix flavor.
0: Okay. okay.
1: Uh, and also doing backups and things as, as a sysadmin.
0: As a sysadmin. So getting to do both, that was that was the good old days, right? Today, a sysadmin doesn't get to do sometimes as much as one would hope. Right. Yeah. Uh, and what was that company called?
1: Statistical Sciences. In, okay. Uh, I.
0: Okay. And where did that lead to? Because
1: uh, we and are going to get
0: to someplace a lot of people have heard of
1: eventually. <laughs> well, then I went back to the University of Washington for a little while. I went mm. back and worked as a systems programmer there uh, on their much larger Unix machine. So I'd gone from these, you know, a whole big variety of Unix workstations to uh, giant Unix machines that, you know, the university has what, maybe 25,000 undergrad students. And we had a program where we were giving access to every undergrad student. Um, it was called the Universal Access Program. So any undergrad student, uh, this is pretty uh, pioneering for its time, could have yeah. access to a mainframe and, and get a chance to just create an account, start using it, have email, um, and have okay. access to the, the early internet. method you know, what are they going to do on <laughs> at that time? But mostly uh, post bulletin boards and things, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, um, right, right. I'm sure it's all on the up concerns. and up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so while I was working there at the University of Washington um, Computer Center again, mm-hmm. uh, in came this lab of NEXT workstations.
0: NEXT, okay. And, now, a lot of people might not actually know what NEXT was. Maybe you can... The the early version of that.
1: Well, when Steve Jobs uh, got kicked out of Apple in the 80s, he decided that he was going to create an even better computer and uh, an even better computer company. And so he took his money and he founded this company and spent... I don't remember, like a million dollars on just their logo alone, right? He just, just going to make everything uh, as perfect as it could be now that he had money to do it instead of doing it in his
0: garage. And half of that was on the color of the
1: logo. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, and uh, very specific uh, guidelines around exactly what angle the logo was supposed to be at. Uh, oh, i okay. Yeah. Anyway, so he created uh, this new company called Next Computers. And it took them a few years, but they... Did eventually come out with their next computer uh which was a uh really very uh aesthetically pleasing black cube
0: and oh yeah i got to see one once in now, my lifetime
1: i've got a few over here just a couple offices down I can oh you really oh wow anyway so uh these next cubes were little uh unix workstations they were standalone well
0: by the way, little the cube was huge compared to what yeah, we think of it today.
1: like a, a today. <laughs> I'm getting put in each direction. Yeah. Um, maybe more than that. Uh, and heavy. It was very heavy. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I remember it being maybe eighteen, twenty inches across. Yeah, like that, you're maybe right. Uh, yeah, you're not a mechanical engineer, though. No, no. Maybe we can get you to take a picture for us for the show notes afterwards. Sure. But, uh, that could be. Um, so you were saying these are these were uh, fairly early Unix workstations, correct?
1: Yeah, they were. Uh, so they were running uh, actually a BSD compatibility layer on top of a mock kernel. So Mach was a, a research project that came out of Carnegie Mellon, and the person who uh, who created mock was Avi Tavanian. And so uh, Steve hired Avi to come, you know, work at Next and build up this. Um, this thing. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just Avi there. Of course, there were a lot of, a lot of people from uh, a lot of companies involved. But, uh, that that Steve managed to recruit into building the next great thing, <laughs> and, uh, and so yeah, it ended up being, uh, at the the foundation layers were th- this sort of revolutionary new idea of a microkernel, which is, um, try to make the the privileged kernel piece of the operating system as tiny as possible. And then with a Hmm. BSD compatibility layer on top, that actually implemented the useful things like TCP IP and file systems and and so on. But all in terms of the mock kernels underlying primitives. And then on top of that was uh, this other completely revolutionary thing, which is the app kit. Uh, The app app, kit. The application kit. Okay. So that was written in Objective-C. And it was... uh, a really beautiful uh, way of uh, building you know, a windowing system, I guess, really is the way to think about it. Okay. Um, so there were a lot of competing windowing systems at that time. You know, there was, a, of course, Windows 3.1. Uh, was... You didn't use the word beautiful in that, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. There was uh, X Windows, and there were several variants of that. Mm-hmm. Sun had their own Display script stuff and a system based on that called News, and Next had Display PostScript on the Next, and uh, and the system for, uh, for writing code on top of it called AppKit. Hmm. Well, at that time, you know, based on all of my experience with all these different Unix platforms, I was thinking, well, if I'm going to write some code, I want that code to be usable by as many people as possible. So let's just write the least common denominator code, stuff that'll run on every Unix machine everywhere. If I can just make it work at the command line, that's the best. Uh, right. And, and I ended up, uh, but I saw these Unix workstations, uh, these Next cubes, come into uh, the University of Washington's lab, and the folks who were running the lab it actually came into the team who was responsible for setting up personal workstations. So uh, the folks who were running PCs and Macs, and they were not treating them as Unix machines; they were treating them just like they tried it and would treat a PC or Mac. So somebody would mm-hmm. walk up, they'd bring their own media with them that had their files they sit down and use it um and then when they left you know they would take their media with them the whole machine would get reset and the next person who came in would have a you know nice clean experience I'm like well, why would you oh. then, instead of giving everybody their own unix accounts we can just nfs mount the unix uh, mainframe have it serve all the files and
0: but, but wait but the mac the mac wasn't a unix operating system yet
1: you no know, the mac wasn't but the next was
0: Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you said they, they used had the Macs, they were treating them like PCs. Oh, You're yeah. saying the next machines.
1: They were treating the next just like they were treating the PCs and the Macs.
0: Oh, uh, I see.
1: Uh devices that needed to be reset every time somebody used them.
0: Oh, oh that sounds criminal.
1: <laughs> so yeah, for for somebody who is uh deep into the Unix world at that point, as I was, uh that did seem criminal. And so I <laughs> talked with my boss about this and said, Well, can you know, can we just here's how I think we should set this up can we do that? And he's like, well, sure, if you want to do that, you can go ahead and we can make some time for you to do that. Oh, okay. So I ended up uh, at that point, the Next hadn't really like officially shipped to everybody yet. I think this was uh, Next Step 0.8 that I was using. And so I sat down and like, okay, I guess I need to learn how this app kit thing works if I want to be able to um, present a nice screen where users can enter their student number and then pick an account name and everything and kind of have it get set up so that it's so that they now have an account on that machine. You know so that it stays. our central servers. Okay. Um and so I've spent um a few days learning Objective C, half uh, built this code, uh and then realized, boy, this is a much more efficient way to work than uh than anything that I'm doing with this cross platform Unix stuff. Oh. i want to see this thing succeed. Uh, uh, huh. I, I want to be doing this, not uh, not just generic Unix systems programming anymore. So
0: oh, it, so in that short time period, you changed from lowest common denominator, where I whatever I do works everywhere, to yeah. No, but this complete is complete that much better. Of,
1: Have <laughs> of attitude, like when yeah, I realized how much more efficient I could be on there. Like, well, why am I wasting my time trying to oh. get that polished and experience, um, you know, with thousands of lines of code or something instead of. Um, the much fewer lines of code that were po- it was possible to do the same work in, in oh, AppKit.
0: That's, that's uh, really interesting. That talks to the power of that. Yeah, yeah it was a really brain. great platform.
1: Uh, and well, so- we
0: should go back to the beginning of the story where you were in kindergarten <laughs> saying, this is inefficient, I don't want to do it this way, right?
1: Yeah, I guess there's a bit of a pattern.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so uh, that, I ended up being... You know I started thinking well how can we help this platform succeed it was not succeeding very well um, right. I mean, at that point it was super early it didn't matter that much and i didn't didn't really think about it that much other than getting it set up in that lab and and working well um, and then trying to make sure that those next machines were supported and updated and so on uh, but a few years later uh, next had a sales office up here in the seattle area uh, across the water over in kirkland and they uh, they had been working on a project for the William Morris Talent Agency, and William Morris had uh, you know they loved the next computers that were set up there, uh, but they were also looking for some custom software which Next had promised them and had not actually gotten built yet, and so okay. uh, I ended up working uh, well uh, being invited along with. Uh, my friend Will, with friend Tim, to come work on that project, and uh, my brother Len, and our friend Mose as well. And so, um, so that is how we ended up working at Next for oh, what probably about eighteen months or so, getting these projects sort of set up and built, finished out to the point where Next had fulfilled their part of the contract. And, so uh, you were you were employees sort of, of Next. Group.
0: i I cut you off there but i wanted to make sure i understood so you weren't actually working for next you were contracted by next to do this work for william Morris talent agency
1: right we were contractors at next so we worked out of their offices we've uh, had next.com email addresses and stuff but we were not okay um, okay we didn't go through employee orientations and things because we were not really full-time employees
0: (laughs) okay okay i i i know the the fun part is is what's coming but (laughs) <laughs> William Morris Talent Agency. Why? Why were they using next computers? What were they using them for?
1: Oh, sure. Well, William Morris uh, had been a very successful full uh, agency uh, there in Los Angeles, but they uh, they had sort of been resting on their laurels. So when the PC wave hit, they were like, eh, "Whatever. We don't. We don't need to worry about that. We're we're already the the champions in this field." And we have paper and ignored. pencils. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I guess they were doing things just the old way. Um, they finally realized, oh, well, maybe we do need to modernize and start tracking, keeping track of, you know, who's working on what projects and who's already booked for what um, show okay,
0: scheduling what,
1: and yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So this, uh, this talent management program ended up being the software that they, uh, that they wanted to build. But when they were deciding, well, what platform should we run it on? uh they were seduced by the next, I guess. Yeah. they loved the idea of this thing that that looked beautiful, that was very advanced. You know, Steve told a good story about all of this, and
0: uh, <laughs> the reality distortion field was strong even back then. Absolutely, huh? yes. <laughs> I mean, I, just looking back, I remember like with breathless excitement, I remember that the next was there in the office. It was like, <gasps> we didn't end up buying one; we weren't bright enough, but. Uh, well, whatever.
1: Well, it had a great deal for the education side of things, because uh, just Mathematica alone cost about $5,000 at that time for mm. us to purchase, if, which, um, and if you paid $5,000 to buy your next hardware, you could get Mathematica bundled with it for free in education. Oh, wow. So, uh, so that was actually how I managed to persuade. Uh, I ended up doing some work again for the, for the Center for Process Analytical Chemistry in these later years as well. And so I oh. persuaded them to get some Next that way as well.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> to okay. do some work.
0: <laughs> Have to do that, right? Okay, so so the end of that story, though, is you, when you finished doing the work for on, on the Next and working as contractors for Next uh, for the William Morris Talent Agency, you and it was Will Shipley and Tim Wood, I think, that is that right? That you guys started the Omni Group.
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh, Will, Tim... Uh, my brother Len, our friend Mo's, uh, and I were all contracting over at Next. And then as that project ended, we were like, okay, well, let's continue working together and, and call ourselves the Omni Group.
0: So what was the Omni Group? What was the, uh, the genesis there, other than four guys who had fun coding together?
1: Well, we wanted to build a uh, video game.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: we wanted a, you know, this... I didn't. I had always enjoyed building software that helped people collaborate. Um, so uh, we had actually built uh, the bulletin board that people were using on the Unix uh, workstations that are on their Unix terminals um, uh, to talk with each other when they got universal access to those mainframes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and of course, as I mentioned, I'd worked on Relay Chat. But one of the other side projects that I'd been working on through these years was. Uh, Managing the games account at, uh, at the University of Washington, which is the place where students could, uh, with the university's blessing, actually set up uh, games that you could play online. But they were, the university gave its blessing with the understanding then that uh, there were controls around those games, so you wouldn't be playing during. Business hours and so on. You'd be playing after hours when, oh, okay, when the staff had gone home for the day and didn't have to worry about it.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: uh, the non-operation staff. I mean, there were some staff running a mainframe that were there twenty-four hours a day, but right, right. Uh, so, ended up adding some interactive features to that, and we started building a game. Um, oh first, we added some extensions to a game called Moria. Uh, like adding a trading post and stuff so the players could share their uh, the loot that they brought out of the dungeon. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, anyway, long story short, we ended up uh, <laughs> deciding to get, create this game called Omni.
0: And, ah, was uh, it uh, Omni as in omnipresent,
1: uh, all-powerful? You know, our friend Dan actually came up with a name, and I'm not sure what he had in mind, but I suspect, yes, <laughs> Lucius, <laughs> all of those things would be appropriate. Okay. Uh, and so then, as we started having dinners together and talking about uh, about this game and what we were going to do next on, you know, developing it, uh, we started calling that the Omni Group, and that was where oh, okay. the company came from.
0: Oh, okay, that's cool. But that isn't where you uh, where you <laughs> ended up making fame and fortune and and helping everybody's lives in collaboration or anything.
1: <laughs> well. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm actually at the heritage fame and fortune yet. But, um, <laughs> but I well, you're a rock least, star to me, up. so <laughs> <laughs> over the years we uh you know as we uh, as I mentioned, had this mission to try to help this platform succeed and uh and thrive so that I could keep developing for it because I had fallen in love with it and I wanted to keep keep it going. So we were trying to do whatever we could do to, uh, to help Next succeed. So after we finished the William Morris project, we went on to work with at t Wireless uh, with uh, just a number of companies. Uh, the web started becoming big uh, and we started doing a number of web objects uh, projects, which uh, web objects was uh, where Next was starting to take this technology. So it was Objective-C, uh back end code generating web pages basically and t- oh okay tying okay. it to database and uh and so we did some uh sites at that time like standard and poor's uh website for oh. um and, yeah for the dynamic stuff or uh there was a pizza you know one of the earliest online <laughs> pizza places <laughs> that stuff
0: standard and poor's and a pizza place. Yeah okay
1: <laughs> a variety of projects that we worked on. Uh <laughs> And then, but as uh, as Next kept going, they kind of realized, well, our platform's not succeeding. We can take these tools and port them to Windows. They're, you know, calling it OpenStep for first. But then they were just kind of focused on just uh, the Web Objects piece of of those tools on Windows. And we were like, well, we don't really want to become Windows programmers.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's not quite your love. That's having your soul sold.
1: I mean, right? still so like the tools, but. And uh, yeah, do we enough to do that? Maybe not. So we started looking at other options. Um, uh, Our friends at Lighthouse Design, which was another uh, software company for the next platform, had uh, ended up being acquired by Sun Microsystems, and they were now working on uh, rebuilding their productivity apps for Java. Ah, okay. Uh, Sun thought that they, you know, would take this company that already had a great productivity suite for the next platform, and see if they could rebuild it all in Java, and that way um, they could turn Java into a, a serious productivity platform. Okay. Well, sure. since um, since we'd worked with them on some of those products in the first place, uh, we set true. Sure, yeah, let's we'll take a look at it and <laughs> started working with them on java we weren't super thrilled by the language we were not super thrilled by the performance by the garbage collection uh we kept mm-hmm. hearing you know uh son was saying well just you know pretend that the the hardware will get faster enough on its own you don't need to worry about that part you just you know write the code it and sure it'll be ready.
0: like it That's should work <laughs> it really did seem like it should work i i, I was a believer
1: yeah um and so, at that time, like I ended up working on adding the uh the rich text piece of uh the j d k and so on but um, this was now ninety six and as we were getting late in the year, we started hearing these rumors of next getting purchased by uh by Apple and I thought wow well, that doesn't is that really likely and also what's Apple doing right now anyway? this is the year that uh App, um that we were seeing magazine covers <laughs> that said Prey with Apple's logo and chains around <laughs> it and so on So, uh, oh, not the darkest spoiler, of times Yeah, but they were certainly in better shape than the next was <laughs> So uh, <laughs> so from that point of view it's, Those chains
0: were an anchor about to be tied to it right? <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't sound good
1: so when we did hear in late December that, uh, that Next had been purchased by Apple, we were like, yes, this is awesome. All right. How soon can we get out of this uh, this Java work that we've been doing and uh, and see about, you know, making native AppKit apps again uh, for the platform? And so, you know, quickly, you know, Apple invited us to come uh to Macworld that January. So I found myself flying down to San Francisco and having a little tiny booth in, at Macworld where I got to uh, show my next software running in this place where nobody has any nexts.
0: Oh, just whoa. Like,
1: you know, of, here's, you know, here's this future platform that Apple is, uh, is now starting uh, betting their operating system strategy on.
0: Wow. Oh, that's crazy. Did uh, was it a popular booth or were you back in tiny town or was in tiny
1: town for sure? <laughs> <laughs> there were uh, I think there were 6 of us uh next developers which were about all that were left at that point. <laughs> wow. Um and we each had these little tiny um you know one person booths and mm-hmm. um which Apple paid for. That was nice. Uh wow. and- <laughs> Uh, And then we were just, you know, they're showing, you know, we, we showed OmniWeb, our web browser, and OmniPDF, our PDF viewer, and our image viewer, and, and so on.
0: You know, it wasn't until, uh, it, the audience doesn't know this because this is only audio, but I'm actually looking at Ken, and behind him is a book that said OmniWeb. And my I just, as soon as you got on the air with me, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was yours, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, oh. well, uh, OmniWeb was the browser that we wrote for the Next platform uh, because the Next platform needed a real web browser, not just the web app that... I mean, the web platform was built uh, on a Next in the first place, right? It was invented on the Next uh, with the World Wide Web app. But the World Wide Web app uh, did not work like today's web browsers at all. It was uh, every link that you clicked on would open a new window, and it was basically a series of different windows, and you could edit and save, uh, you know, because it was meant to be a collaborative system where, um, so you would take these new windows, they would all be editable and put stuff in there. And I don't believe it had any, um, any graphics support in it either. Not much in the way of rich text either. Uh, Okay. basic rich text support. So when we started, I remember looking at that World Wide Web app and thinking, oh, it's interesting, kind of like the Gopher app was interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. The Gopher app, I think, was actually little more interesting at that time, a uh, little more polished. And there were certainly a lot more Gopher content out there than web content. But um, but I started hearing more and more about NCSA Mosaic. Uh, and so I said, well, let's see what uh, what this web thing's about. And so I ended up writing uh, OmniWeb kind of on a lark over uh, overnight and brought it in the next day and showed it to uh, my coworkers. And they're like, Oh, this is really cool. We got to uh, we got to do more of this. So I ended up distracting everybody for the week, not great uh, for our consulting contracts at the time, in terms of our revenue, but billable hours. Um, but we ended
0: up. You wrote it overnight. That's my favorite part of that sentence.
1: <laughs> no, it was a it was a fun project. It was an, it, a lot of uh, web code was already published as open source, so you know I was really just kind of pulling things together and then adding the pieces that that needed to be done to make it real and. This was a time of a lot of experimentation. So if, if we actually pull out this oldest OmniWeb box back here.
0: Um, <laughs> He's showing me the, uh, the original
1: uh, box kit. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so on the back here, we were touting OmniWeb's um, lightning fast text rendering loads, uh, even complex pages quickly, You know, run multiple OmniWeb browsers simultaneously, it's just point and click a pages links to navigate the World Wide Web. Wow. Uh, and so I, and choose from three history panels to retrace your steps because we weren't sure which history panel was the best approach. Like, is it re- <laughs> least recently st- um, used stuff, or do we want to see like a tree history so you know which paths you've gone down and then gone back up? Or, um, wow. So know, I,
0: of- I just looked up OmniWeb in Wikipedia, and in a completely meta thing, OmniWeb in Wikipedia, the image they put on the right hand side is OmniWeb showing Wikipedia. So it's- <laughs> I can't quite tell what it is because it's a little bit blurry, but wow. That was still running under OS X
1: 10.5. Oh, I'm still actually running it on my uh, desktop right now.
0: Are you really? I want to run it too.
1: <laughs> but uh, but it has some issues. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the, the latest issues are uh, that uh, OmniWeb is now built on top of WebKit 2, but WebKit 2 doesn't have any public API for things like... Oh password autofill oh. there are a lot of websites <laughs> that people want to go to these days that require passwords so uh so I don't recommend it for it for everybody uh yeah but
0: but you can still do it. that's crazy that's really cool so uh at this point apple is uh is starting to crawl back out have they 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 haven't made at some point next gets folded into the operating system right
1: yeah, so. You know, of course, when we thought Apple bought next and they're gonna make this the future of the platform, like, yeah, you know, this is gonna be ready, you know, maybe it'll take a year or so, but then it'll all be based around the next platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh obviously that's not what happened. Uh, the, the strategy at that point was called Rhapsody and uh, Rhapsody was uh, going to be the new operating system based around the next platform. Uh, Gil Emilio and I can't remember her name right now, but, uh, was, you know, sort of in charge of that strategy by the summer, uh, when we went to Mackerel, what was Mackerel in New York that summer or in Boston? Anyway, wherever it was on the East coast, um, uh, Gil was gone and now Steve is sort of starting to shepherd things. Um, uh, mm. and, uh, it was probably the next year that the iMac came out. Oh, wow. Uh, was it was was starting to really do things quickly he was simplifying their product lines he came up with the idea of these quadrants where you just had um you were they were going to have four different um because computers two for consumers and two for pros uh, right right mobile and and desktop and um and that was going to be it and i remember you know over time then they were filling in those quadrants because they didn't have it all on day one or anything um so that was sort of what was going on that that we didn't care about as developers, <laughs> but that we did care about Apple succeeding at this point. Um, sure,
0: but you mentioned the iMac though. But was was the iMac OS 10?
1: The iMac was not OS 10. It was so OS it was, 8, I think. Still
0: OS 8. Oh, so you've got a ways to go in this. Is this dream you had that a year would be all it would take?
1: Yeah. So they decided. Well, this rhapsody this original Rhapsody plan that they had, which involved the yellow box would be all of the new afcad apps and the blue box would be all of the older, um, you know, OS seven apps. OS eight hadn't even shipped yet when they made this strategy.
0: Um, you're just getting into multi-finder at this point. <laughs> this is,
1: <laughs> so the, uh, that strategy was not one that appealed to companies like Adobe because they saw that that was not, uh, you know, the, the way they were being paid, they would be in this blue box, which is much more limited than the yellow box. It would not have access to all these Unix facilities and everything else. It was just kind of this compatibility mode. Um, And that strategy was not uh, not really a winning strategy for Apple with their big developers that were keeping them alive at that point. Uh, So Steve um, completely revised that strategy uh, as he took over, and instead we ended up with the uh, turning that particular project into something they just called the OS 10 Server. So they released the next step operating system with a facelift. So it looked like a Macintosh, like uh, like the Macintosh looked in OS 7, and um, or OS 8 maybe, um, and it could run our software. So OmniWeb was the web browser that ran on on um, this uh, <laughs> hybrid operating system. It could run yeah. some uh the old Mac software, but, you know, not everything. And, uh, yeah, sorry.
0: So, so OS X server, you said was the next step OS. So that was the, that was the first OS X.
1: That was the, yeah, kind of the first OS X, but that was shipping in what, 98, 99. Um, okay. It was not actually the consumer OS X. Right, right. It was not something you could install on a laptop and, uh, you know, I didn't really understand switching networks like I expected you'd be on the same network as you booted, because that was how the next worked. Uh, okay, okay. Because it was a Unix machine, it was not built for dynamic connecting to things.
0: But that was kind of a good way to get started, right? To get it it going and it moving forward without irritating the Adobe's of the world?
1: Right. And it was an opportunity to start building a little bit of software for it. Uh, We started building, we built the backup software that got bundled with it, OmniGroup Backup. And uh we also started, you know, one of the things we always believed that Steve didn't seem to believe uh, was that games were actually pretty important to a platform oh. uh, in terms of his, its success. And so uh, we had worked with John Carmack on Quake and uh, on the next platform because he'd actually developed Doom and Quake on the next uh, before he shipped them on the PC. But uh, he was looking to make that experience a little, you know, make the app actually be playable on a Next. And so we had oh, helped okay. with that a little bit and uh, ended up with that connection. And so we uh, ended up porting Quake to OS 10 server and <laughs> then porting a bunch of Quake-based games because when Quake came out, you know, it was sort of revolutionary new 3D uh, in software only, not not requiring special hardware. Okay, uh, And so... There were a whole bunch of games, uh, some of which you can see on the shelves behind me here, um, <laughs> that were, uh, were based on this Quake engine. And so we started, since we had already ported the engine itself and, and the basic game, it was really easy to then to take an adaptation of that engine and port the, that game as well. And so you know, we worked with some of the game companies for the Mac and, uh, and started helping them get a bunch of games ported over to what would be the new platform.
0: Wow. I, I I want to interject here. One of the funniest things I, I think about the the whole gaming thing is when when PCs were big and Macs were really lame. The PC people would always say, "Oh, the the Mac is just a game. That's just a toy. It's not real." <laughs> and then so then the Macs started to become real real computers, and then all the PC people are playing games, and it's like, no, no, games are where it's at. Games are really important. <laughs> and now you hear are our, our going. You are building an OS ten server. But you're writing games to go on it. it. It's just kind of funny that how things go back and forth on what's what's a real computer for. In the end, it always seems to be games. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> well, we like to play, I guess.
1: Certainly, there was there were not a lot of people buying games for OS ten server. <laughs> I'll, I'll just put it that way. Um, and I do think maybe that criticism is part of what drove Steve to not want um, to spend a lot of time and energy on games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he clearly came around uh, in the end, you know, by the time the iPhone had a bunch of games and (laughs) starting to demo them on stage and so on so
0: right right he, I, I don't get the sense he was super playful so like he, <laughs> that was part of it
1: yeah i didn't get a sense that that was uh how he spent a lot of his time he did use omniweb a lot on on his next platform <laughs> did he did he oh that's and many years after he got to apple he continued using omniweb as his primary browser
0: but oh, that, that's got to be gratifying
1: yeah that was fun um yeah. so it really it took what four years because uh we started this transition in ninety seven and OS ten finally shipped in two thousand one. Uh, so it was wow. a long wait from our point of view. Wow. We did have well, other especially things for
0: somebody busy. patient for things to things to go and get going. That that had to have driven you crazy.
1: Yeah. Um I mean that was a busy time in the industry. There was uh, the Y two K problem. Um uh, mm. and so we are helping companies, you know, get their code bases updated for that and so on. Uh, so it's not like we didn't have work to do, but but we were sure. certainly impatient to see the actual um, fruits of that um, that work come out. A
0: transition, a transition, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so when did when did OS ten officially come out? Well, ten uh, point was sort of a
1: <laughs> almost a beta ish, right? Yeah, it, like it wasn't the default operating system yet until yeah. ten one chipped. Uh, right. Which happened. I want to say right after nine eleven. Um, okay, in 2001, really, yeah, yeah, what a lot going it? on that year, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm, of course, bringing up Wikipedia to see the number because I, yeah, the, the names, uh, let's see, uh, 10.0. Oh, that's not going to be it. Uh, I'm not fast enough. Wait, wait, Rhapsody developer release was in 1997, yeah, Mac OS and server was in 1999, like you said. Um MacOS 10 Public Beta. Ten 0, Cheetah was in two thousand one. But yeah, I don't think uh Oh yeah, was, so
1: maybe it was two thousand two before we even had uh yeah, Puma a default operating system.
0: Yeah, I don't think so, because I don't think Puma was ever something we regular folk <laughs> used. Jaguar was ten point two. Right. Wow. And that was that was big days. So was that a a, a big boon for you to finally get to use it?
1: Yeah, oh that was great. Um and that was you know when not only I could use it, I've been using it all along now at that point, right? Oh, <laughs> yes, that's but, true. Uh that was when, say, my parents would be using it on their IMAX. And,
0: okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's that's quite a transition. That that's a long way to wait for your your dream, but it's like it sounds like you never lost the faith.
1: No, no. I uh well, is that true? I guess we were a little worried in 96 when we started <laughs> okay. doing that Java work <laughs> that it would yeah. happen. But but yeah, no, all through the uh, the late 90s, after the Apple acquisition, we always felt that there was a market there and that it was going to work out. Um, that right. there were enough um, customers who were passionate about a quality pat- platform um, mm-hmm. that there was a market clearly to sell this to. And uh And we knew we knew the platform inside and out from our work uh, on the next. And so um, so we knew that that was a quality platform that uh, at least we hoped would would serve their needs over the long term. But it was just a matter of getting it to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, I did lose faith during that time. The only time I didn't buy a new Mac was in that time period. I ended up buying a used Mac from my friend Ron. Because I just like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. And and I had no idea how close they were to bankruptcy. (laughs) Had I known that, I don't think I would have bought a used Mac. But
1: uh, sure. Yeah.
0: Talk about a plane going right to the ground and pulling up at the last minute.
1: It was definitely a, you know, if anyone was buying stock in those years, that was a good time to be buying stock. (laughs) (laughs) It was fire sale prices.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh so you're died in the wool, uh, Mac OS person now, I assume.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mac OS and of course iOS and ipad os.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, right, right, right. So, so um yeah. Oh go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna. I was gonna take us uh, to where you are currently because I didn't ask any questions about the Omni Group in, <laughs> it, in its current state. So, um, other than Dorothy, who made me promise to uh, uh, tell you how much she loves OmniFocus and she basically could not survive without it—that uh, you it runs her life. Um, it, she obviously knows everything about the products that you make. But uh, why don't you tell people what Omni Group actually makes for the few people who might not know?
1: Sure. So we. We make uh, professional productivity apps, uh, so apps that help people save time and get uh, get more work done through their day. So the apps that we make are OmniFocus. That's uh, the one that we we're just talking about, which is uh, sort of a to-do list on steroids. It helps you uh, keep track of it. If you just have a few to- things that you have to keep track of, it's probably not the app for you. You know, there are simpler solutions that are free, like reminders that you can just plug your to do's in and you'll be fine but if you have uh hundreds of things that you're trying to keep track of or thousands of things that you're trying to keep track of this is a tool that will let you focus in on which things you need to get done today and you know defer other things to the future and it it, uh you can say when what day you want those things to show up what projects they belong to and you can tag them and so on so that's what OmniFocus is about omni outliner is our general purpose outlining app uh So it's used by people like lawyers, uh, students, writers to organize their thoughts um, in a text outline and just get it all uh, written down and organized. Omni Graffle is our diagramming app. That's actually the app that I think we've been most well-known for over the years. It was one that was bundled with a lot of Macintoshes in the early 2000s, along with Omni Outliner. Okay. Okay. And uh, so that's uh, if you're trying to do any sort of uh, visual communication, uh, sy- symbolic connections, architecture diagrams—more uh, uh, computer architecture than uh, <laughs> than housing <laughs> architecture. But
0: those, uh, those stencils are a little on the nerdy side, yeah, right? <laughs> it, t-
1: typically, yeah. Uh, electrical engineering stuff it gets done in there. Uh, anyway, uh, those sorts of diagrams, uh, sometimes website. My, mock-ups or wireframes and so on uh or people even just use it for posters sometimes but um uh, that is the tool uh for that and then our last product is omni plan which is for professional project managers who are trying to uh schedule out a lot of resources and tasks and figure out what is the critical path on something uh, how many people will they need in in each month and so on
0: oh okay okay gantt charts and
1: all that yeah, stuff. exactly
0: yeah. okay and now uh some of these products at least have been you you've developed them for the uh for the iPhone and iPad is that right?
1: All of them. Yes. All of them. Yeah, that was uh when the iPad was announced before it had shipped. Uh you know, within a few days we had decided that was something we were we were going to be all in on. And so we were going to bring every product over to it. I did a blog post. Uh this one of probably our most um well-read blog posts on our website uh, that was called iPad or Bust. And, oh, nice. Uh, and I started uh, doing updates to that over the years of, all right, well, here's where we're at on each one of the products that we had. We had two, two of our apps ready at launch by the time the mm-hmm. iPad launched. Just um, Wow. Uh, what, about eight weeks? Yeah, I don't know. Within a few months of <laughs> when that wow. blog post was made. Um, wow. And then so you, you I, I think this edition date was within eight weeks or so. Um
0: so you saw the future of what a productivity tool it would become that that early on. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, well at least we hoped <laughs> that was the vision that we, you know, was compatible with what we wanted to see that become. And so we started started building for that future.
0: Interesting. Uh, I mean, because back then, I mean, for a long time, for maybe the first more than the first year, the The common trope was, "Oh, it's just for consumption. It's not for for uh, creation or doing any real work."
1: Yeah, no, and we thought that was crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I certainly felt like you could get things done with it from a from a per, pretty early stage, but not. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not a futurist whatsoever, so I don't want to pretend that I, I really saw where it would become. But when you see it now as having the actual, you know, having a, a desktop class opera, uh, um. Web browser in it and things, you know, you're. It's really starting to get there. Being able to actually attach a mouse for crying out loud, you know.
1: Yeah, this year has been a big year for that platform. I think. Um, yeah. Particularly the uh, the multi window support in a single app, so you can have the same. You know, I can have two diagrams side by side in OmniGraphle now. Yay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the day they let you have two uh, Apple Photos open at the same time would be the day you actually need it. Where you're trying to compare two photos side by side. Right. Do but they I not do that you, yet? I haven't I actually checked
1: because uh, I don't use photos that much on my iPad. But
0: yeah, I, I doubt. I can't picture that they do because I'm not sure how you would even invoke a second one.
1: You. Uh, so you, I think you would invoke it the same way. And I'm just pulling it up right now. But you do <laughs> any,
0: are both play with our iPads now. Any What's other doing? app,
1: which is uh, you swipe up from the bottom to get the dock and then mm-hmm. you um, drag up with that app and uh, Mm -hmm. then you drag it over to the side just like you would if it were a different app that you were trying to put side by side with that app and it looks like photos does not support this yet you're right
0: (laughs) (laughs) all i managed to do was get photos not in my dock anymore so (laughs) not at all what i meant to do i don't
1: know but uh if you do the same thing in omni (laughs) grapple or Mail or files or you know a bunch of other apps now that do support this multi-window uh ipad os 13. Then, uh, then you actually can put multiple windows side by side. And...
0: Yeah, it's really, really getting there. I I know a lot of people are worried about, you know, that are diehard Mac people worried about the, the iPad getting so good, but I see enough flowing back and forth between them that I don't feel like I have to. I actually feel like they've got me to a spot now where I have to buy both Right. (laughs) Because there's nothing you can do that you can do everything well on one or the other. It's like, well, over here, I need to do this and over here, I need to do that. And so they keep going back and forth on it.
1: Right. Well, whenever I'm at my desk, like I am right now, I'm generally using my Mac, but Mm -hmm. I also have my iPad over here to the side. And whenever I go to a meeting or something, I usually leave my Mac behind and I just bring my iPad and I use my Apple Pencil and I take notes that way. And if I need to look something up, I do pull out the keyboard if necessary. But most of the time, uh, you know, I find an iPad uh, tablet a lot less distracting to take notes on and write with in a meeting and instead of having this sort of wall of a screen between me and somebody else. Yeah,
0: absolutely. The other the other thing I found is that um, typing isn't the best way to think.
1: Right, absolutely. That,
0: that's I did. I did a blog post recently on that of of uh, and and I used to use scratch paper when I when I was working and I would have to do presentations. I found if I brought up PowerPoint, that was the quickest way to bring my brain to a complete and utter stop of creativity. <laughs> so I'd go in the trash can out next to the uh, printer and I'd bring over printer paper and I would draw out my my view graphs and just just scribble on paper. But now I do it in uh, Notability in my iPad. And with that I, now, when I wrote it there, then it's at my Mac. It's on my other iPad, it's on my phone. If I ever had to look at it, so but I but I can think that way when I'm trying to code something, I have to do it on a with a pencil on there. I can't if I try to type it out. Then I'm trying to be exact. Right. And as soon as you're exact, you're not thinking anymore. You're all you're doing is transcribing. I think.
1: Yeah, it's too easy for me if I'm in a meeting and I'm taking notes with a keyboard to want to just type exactly what they're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fix typos
1: <laughs> instead of actually processing it, which is what happens when I. Write something out with a yeah. pencil.
0: It's it's almost like it's a different part of our brain is is wired when yeah. you're using a pencil. There's there's something that, that they haven't tapped into yet with a keyboard. Well, I've gotten you completely off topic here at the end, <laughs> but uh I, I gotta I gotta tell you, I've been this is one of those interviews where my cheeks hurt from smiling the whole time while I'm talking to you. This has been uh this has been really, really interesting. Uh so if people want to find uh Group, they would go to Omnigroup.com Good job getting that URL. Uh, and if they easy, wanted you to
1: register in 92, <laughs> it was I guess so. back then. You just had to send emails oh. to the right place.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. You had to know a guy, right? <laughs> I love it. And if people wanted to follow you online or connect with you in some way, is there any way they can do that?
1: Best way is probably to find me on Twitter, which is uh, my first name, uh, my first initial and last name. So that's K Case, K-C-A-S-E.
0: Wow. He's got a five digit. Uh, The Twitter handle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic.
1: Thank you, Allison.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the Nocella Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other no Silica castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed.